Okay, we're going to be in Acts 14. You have a scripture sheet. Remember these scripture sheets like we used to have? And we're back utilizing those, although the scriptures will also be on the screen behind me. Oh, one other announcement before we move forward. Women's Choice Network has their annual fall fundraiser next Tuesday. That's the 13th of October. Not this Tuesday, but the 13th. If you're a fan of Women's Choice Network and want to share in uh, their banquet experience, Beth and I are going to host a a gathering right here at the church, 715. We'll share dessert, watch the banquet video together. So let me or Beth know if you want to be a part of that Tuesday night the 13th. Acts 14 is where we're going to start in just a few minutes. One of the fascinating elements of being a pastor, of being a member of the so-called clergy, is to observe how folks who are not familiar with what it means to be a Presbyterian pastor squirm a bit to figure out what, what to call you. Often someone will just come out and ask me my preferred name or, or title. At other times, they take a stab at it and Pastor, reverend, father, church leaders go by a number of different uh, titles. Pastor, reverend, father, three of them. There's brother, there's elder, there's minister, there's doctor, there's preacher. An Episcopal bishop uh, was in a school talking about her role in the church when she asked the class of fourth graders if any of them knew what a bishop did. And there was a long pause, and nobody responded. And finally, a little boy slipped up his hand and said, I know, the bishop moves diagonally. <laughs> well, as glad members of the Church of Christ, it seems good if we take some time to understand how the Lord has ordered His church and put in place certain officers to lead and to serve. We, we saw last time how uh, as the church advanced beyond Jerusalem, where the leadership came mostly from the apostles, certain new leadership roles were established in the church. Most obvious among these was the office of elder. When the original church-planting missionaries went about their work in various cities, here is what we find, Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after this, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament epistles as well, we read often about these people called elders. Sometimes the word overseer may be used, depending on your translation. Overseer has a reference to Gentile origins as opposed to the word elder, which was a Jewish leadership term. Both are used in Acts 20, where it says, Paul called to him the elders of the church of Ephesus, And once the elders came, he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the other Greek word. So it's presbyteros, elder, episkopos, uh, overseer. The Latin term, by the way, for the word shepherd used there is the word pastor. So this one verse tells us that the elders are those who oversee the church like a shepherd oversees his flock. They are the leaders, and and they look out for the flock of God. The other regular New Testament office is that which we call deacon. Paul mentions the office of deacon along with the office of elder in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 3. The qualifications for the two offices differ somewhat, as, as does the function. When Paul writes to the churches, He sometimes mentions the elders and the deacons. The book of Acts does not use the term deacon, but most likely the story we read in Acts chapter 6 provides the origin of the office of deacon. That's the account of how the 
early, uh, early church faced a crisis with respect to their charitable ministry of feeding the widows in the congregation. Their response was to create a new board, a new ministry team of seven wise, spirit-filled persons who uh, took care of the oversight of that ministry and thus freed up the apostles to focus on the Word and prayer. The office of deacon, not, uh, not terribly well-defined in the New Testament. In our tradition, the deacons concentrate on the physical needs of the church and its members, leaving the spiritual oversight and the governance of the church up to the board of elders. Now, within our church, uh, most members connect with the word, or connect the word elder to a, a lay leader as distinct from uh, a pastor, as they might view it. Things can get a little fuzzy on these matters for understandable reason. So let's see if the Scriptures can help us clarify. First Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who wor- whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. There's a couple of things to note there that have to do with the development of church office. First is that a type of elder arose who was especially focused on the ministry of teaching. Paul here calls out those persons for special honor. In Presbyterianism, we distinguish between what we call teaching elders and ruling elders. To make it simpler than it really is, the teaching elder is what you normally regard as a pastor. In our context, that would be Ben Burkholder and myself, seminary trained, examined by the presbytery, empowered to preach, and to administer the sacraments. Our session, which is the Presbyterian term for our board of elders, consists typically of a combination of ruling elders and teaching elders. Now, because of their role, teaching elders often will exercise somewhat more influence, but both ruling elders and teaching elders exercise one vote on the session, and both are responsible to govern and to shepherd the flock. Second thing to note from the passage we read in 1 Timothy 5 is the suggestion that these leaders were given honor, often in the form of financial support. The translation I read, the NIV, speaks of the worker deserving his wages. The New Living Translation goes so far as to say this, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. So, as the church grew and the care of the membership became more complicated and demanding, the church began to call out qualified persons to devote themselves more completely to the work of pastoring the flock. To this end, a vocation of pastor grew up. Eventually, churches identified a man who was the chief elder, not the sole leader, but the leader of the leaders, usually the primary teacher, who would usually be compensated for his service and his leadership. What we normally think of as a pastor, this person was often more educated than most, and that's why the term clergy was applied to them, because the word clergy meant learned man. Uh, then this would be referring to this particular class of leaders. In the New Testament, Timothy and Titus appear to be examples of such a pastor, prototypical pastors. So let's take a quick look now at the qualifications put forth for those who would serve in church office. 
In Acts 6, when the original deacons were chosen, they were to be men of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Presumably the same would be true of the elders who were chosen to lead and teach in the local assemblies. When Paul writes to the two pastors, Timothy and Titus, he provides a full description in 1 Timothy 3 uh, of, of, uh, that the elders must have a good reputation, a disciplined lifestyle, free of indulgence, uh, ability to teach, a personal and a family life worthy of emulation. Peter writes that the elders are to be good examples for the flock, models of Christian faith and life given the nature of the job. Leadership ability, discernment, knowledge, all of these would be relevant, as would a grasp of Christian doctrine. In Titus 1, it says the elders should be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So one would expect that elders set aside, are set aside, especially for the ministry of the Word, these teaching elders, these pastors, that they would be those who have strong capacities for learning and communicating the truth of God. I note just briefly here what I have dealt with more thoroughly in times past, that all the New Testament elders appear to have been male. All the apostles, all the seven from Acts chapter 6 as well, the New Testament does not, does mention women who were deacons and women who were prophets, but none who were in a obviously ruling office. Indeed, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12 says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, some today, even within our particular denomination, believe this directive was peculiar to the first century and not necessarily binding on us today. But because in 1 Timothy 2, the apostle grounds his directive in the creation order that Adam was created first and then Eve, our church has maintained a distinctly male session, although women in our congregation lead and teach and serve in other ways critical to our fellowship, uh, including as officers among our deacons. We have great women leaders in our body, like Kelly Laird in our children's department and Amber and Kirsten in our women's ministry and Susan Gale, Lisa Carroll, and others among our deacons and many in our Sunday school program and Kristen Brown where was she? She's over there today, who serves the Lord as a, in our community as a therapist from her office right here at North Park Church. There's Pat Primick that we're sending all the way across the world to be a witness and a missionary in other places, and there's many others. We praise God for these sisters, many more like them, who are in leading roles in the body of Christ here. Brothers and sisters, I can hardly express how crucial it is for the health of the Lord's church to have leaders in place who are worthy of their role. My daughter asked me, our daughter asked me last night when I was preaching on the day what kind of world-changing message I had, and I said, well, <laughs> it's about church officers, maybe not the most... Uh, Maybe not a message likely to spark revival, but you know what? The health of the Lord's church hinges on our grasp of what His Word says about the leadership of the local fellowships. Not all servants of Jesus are leaders, but all leaders are servants. And as you ponder how the king and head of the church would have you serve Him, be open to the possibility that God is calling you into church office 
First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he aspires or desires to do. Interesting. That verse suggests that some people have it in their hearts to serve the Lord as an overseer, as an elder among the people of God. That is not an easy thing. The vast majority that do that do not make any money doing it. Few make very much doing it. It is also a vulnerable role. Some of our elders can tell stories of losing friends and enduring criticism as a result of taking on a leadership role. Sometimes it means long nights and painful choices, which is why it rather amazes me that we have nine men unpaid serving the Lord as elders along with me and Ben, and this particular group that we have is extraordinary. Exceedingly rare is the church blessed with leaders of this caliber. And I tell you, when I go to Presbytery or General Assembly or pastors' conferences and I hang out with other pastors and I hear them talk about their lay leadership in their churches and I think of the ones I'm blessed to work with, I always come back just counting my blessings and thanking God. Extraordinary cow, exceedingly great brothers that are leading our church. I know how, I, how privileged I am to work with them and I wish you all could appreciate them as I do. I pray as well that many of you, maybe some of you moving into adulthood right now, would seek the Lord regarding your own calling. A few years ago, you know, we brought Mark Sharpneck onto our church staff when he retired from government work after 25 years with, with the government. And I was struck by Mark's story uh, of how God moved in his life as a young man, giving him a heart for the church and for leadership in the church. And there was a time as a younger man when he thought that maybe the pastor was for him. He, he dabbled in seminary a bit, but eventually decided that he would make his living another way. But he would serve God as a ruling elder in the church that he loved. And I, I thought, well, that, that's interesting, a particular call to be a ruling elder. That was rare, really cool that Mark had that on his heart so early in life. That heart to serve, that willingness to lead is part of the calling to office. It's not all that you need. You need experience and giftedness. You need the affirmation of your fellow church members for those who bring all of that together, serving in church office. It can be terrifically rewarding. Can be. In glory, to be sure, very often in this life. You know how uh, if, if you're on a lot of different websites, they, they, sometimes they make you change your password. You know, you know how annoying that is? They're like every, day, every six months you get something. You got to change your password. And you're like, oh, brother, come up with another password. I don't know how many you have. I'm up to like 10 or 11 different passwords that I'm using. But the one I came up with recently... I'm really finding a blessing. I would encourage you as you think of a password to think of something that reminds you of the goodness of God in your life. You know, it could be a list of your children, if you've been blessed with those, you know. But I came up with one that reminded me of the blessing of God to lead me in 1982 to Covenant Church in Palm Bay, and then in 2009 to North Park Church. And I find every time I type in that, oh, by the way, it ends with an exclamation mark, so I'm giving that away. 
Uh, but every time I type out that password, it, it, re, it re, helps me reflect on the sweet providence of God in my life. And then I hit that exclamation mark and say, thank you, Jesus, for how you have led me to the assemblies of believers that you've led me to. What a privilege. I believe uh, it's good to close our look at church office with a consideration of how church members ought to relate to those in office, in leadership, in their fellowship, Okay. Uh, for this, I mostly go to the New Testament epistles where the basic message is that we are to relate to our church leaders by way of honor and encouragement. Got that? Say that with me. Honor and encouragement. Honor and encourage those whom the Lord has placed over you as leaders. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 12 uh, says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Clear enough. This pertains to how you speak to them and how you speak about them. Are your church leaders fair game for your gossip? Is it okay to complain to your friends about your stupid pastor and those awful elders You know, this last year has presented an unusual opportunity for us to complain about our leaders. Have you done any of that? (laughs) I've done my share about the governor and the mayor and the people in Washington, but even in the church. Some have been upset that we stopped holding services back in March. Others were upset when we started back holding services. Some complained about the masking or the not masking. I get it. It has been hard. And I want you to know uh, that it is okay to complain. It is okay to appeal if you can do so with respectful, honoring dispositions, which most people in our church have done. Personally, I welcome folks to let me know when I do or say something that they find objectionable, I'm encouraged that someone would come to me and not to others with whatever is bothering them. But brethren, I feel I must say this. There are some in the church who never say anything until they're upset. No thank yous, no notes of appreciation, no encouragements about that good Sunday school class or the good work on the budget, you will go out to eat and thank your waiter five times in the course of a single meal, but some, I'm afraid, go a whole decade with never a positive word to a pastor or a staff member or an elder. Hey, elders are people too, with feelings. Let's make a point of communicating encouragement to those who take on leadership in our church family. There is more. We read the verses about paying them well. Certainly this applies to those we ask to devote themselves full-time as church staff members. Some churches fail at this point. I thank the Lord that ours is not one of them. But be alert to honoring leaders in this way. Honor leaders by praying for them and letting them know that you are praying for them. Honor leaders by speaking well of them and speaking well to them, by paying them adequately, by praying for them, and finally by submitting indeed 
to their decisions. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. That verse gives insight into what church leaders are to be doing, but also how we are to relate to them. We follow, we submit, we do not rebel. Now, now we can all come up with exceptional situations that may require us to oppose a church leader, but in individualistic America, born in revolt against the king, in a Protestant church, born in revolt against the pope, probably the case that our tendency is to go too quickly to this place of opposing and deriding authority. But the basic command of Scripture is what we find here. And listen, the exhortation to submit, it only becomes practical when the leadership does something you disagree with, right? So we're happy to provide you that opportunity. <laughs> uh, when you don't like a policy or decision, that's where the call to submission becomes relevant because you choose to support the leader even when you don't agree. The verse doesn't mean you don't share your perspective. Let me say that again. The verse doesn't mean you don't share your perspective. But it does mean you don't undermine the unity of the church and discourage the servant leaders by attacking them or their decisions. Finally, I would point out for your consideration that in the book of Acts, when leaders were put in place, whether it happened by a congregational vote, by appointment by an apostle, or by uh, a special calling from heaven, the leaders were understood to be in their position by the selection of Jesus Himself. Paul told the elders of Ephesus that they held their office by the appointment of the Holy Spirit. He writes to Timothy and Titus, reminding them that they are in office by a divine calling and appointment. In the church, we have a great shepherd who is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But understand that He guides His church. He provides for His flock through lesser shepherds. In Jeremiah chapter 3, the Lord promises to do good for His people in this way. He says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. What a gift. When you have that, there are a few things more precious, more needed. Often we only discover how important such a gift is when it is removed. It's easy to take leaders for granted. But when you find yourself under a bad one, uh-oh. We have all been there in church, in school, in business, in society. Elsewhere in, Jer in Jeremiah, the prophet laments a situation like that. For the shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. So much, brothers and sisters, turns on leadership. For the simple reason that leaders impact an entire tribe of people for good or for ill. That is why a presidential election year puts us on edge and threatens our peace, a peace of heart. It threatens our unity as well. We understand that the prosperity and freedom and peace of our nation will be impacted mightily through the election process. That's a big deal. But you know what? 
the greatest thing happening in the world today, it is not Donald Trump making America great again. It is not Joe Biden rescuing us from Donald Trump. It is Jesus Christ who continues to build His church. Leadership matters here too. So let's pray for and seek the Lord's good provision with thanksgiving and with glad-hearted support for those whom He lifts up to leadership among His people, rejoicing all the while that we get to be sheep under the care of the greatest shepherd of all who leads us into green pastures and besides quiet waters and into the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So, Father, bless us in these ways with good and godly shepherds in this church, in our denomination, and everywhere Jesus is named. And do fill our hearts with gratitude that we have a great shepherd looking out for his church and building his bride. Brooke is up to lead us in the chorus. In your church, Lord, be glorified. Let's stand and sing that as we wrap up.